Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 48, Productivity Tips for Podcasters. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Audacity to Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel J. Lewis from Cincinnati, Ohio area. Not technically Ohio, but nearby. Thank you for joining me for another episode of this how-to podcast about podcasting and using Audacity. Today, we have some fun things for you and very productive things that will help you in your podcasting and be better as a podcaster. This is the podcast where I give you the tools, give you the guts, and teach you the tools to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. And part of podcasting with all of that, passion, organization, and dialogue, is being productive. Because if you decide to start a podcast and you find yourself struggling with getting it going and struggling with preparing your notes and just being consistent with it, then my friend, you need some productivity help. And I am so happy and so honored that I was able to get Stever Robbins from the Get It Done Guys Quick and Dirty Tips to Do More, to Work Less and Do More podcast, that he will share productivity tips for us and with us about things that we podcasters can sometimes forget because we might get in this little niche or we are doing things the hard way. So I was very happy to get Steve Robbins here and all of the links and stuff that he mentions will be in the show notes at the audacity to podcast.com slash 48. And you can check out his site at get it done guy.com. Steve, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, I want the audience to get to know you a little bit better, and uh, they've probably heard of your podcast, certainly have heard of Grammar Girl, and you host a podcast on the same network that is called Get It Done Guy Podcast. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, yeah, it's, it's the full name of the podcast is Get It Done Guy's Quick and Dirty Tips to Work Less and Do More. And it's, uh, as you know, if you listen to the channel, it falls into the quick and dirty tips format, which is that every episode is about five minutes long. And each episode has one, at least one, sometimes two or three actionable tips that someone can take immediately after listening to the episode. And that, that's one of the themes of the whole network, in fact, is any of our podcasters, as soon as the episode is done, you should walk away with something you can do. In my case, and I can't speak for all of the other podcasters, but certainly me and Grammar Girl, we also interject humor into it. And she has recurring, she has recurring characters who are a snail named Squiggly and an aardvark. And I have some recurring characters who are my, my hypothetical co-workers, Bernice and Melvin and uh, the, the boss who is the world-dominating uh, ex-pop star named Europa. It's, it's all very entertaining and fun, as well as being useful in learning how to label your file folders. And I've always wondered, do these characters that you portray in your podcast, do they really exist in real life under different names? <clears throat> well, um, okay. We're, <laughs> I'm going to come clean fifth? here. <laughs> oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll come clean. Um, Bernice, who is, Bernice is the combination of two real life people, uh, both friends of mine, one of whom is a let's just say an ample control queen 
and the other of whom is very much into paganism and and goddess worship and things. But in one of those ways where you're you're never quite sure whether she's using it because she genuinely believes in it as a system of spirituality or whether this is just her way of manipulating everyone around her using fancy terminology. <laughs> and Bernice's boyfriend, Melvin, oh dear, Melvin is based on a real-life person who – the real-life person is actually a little more extreme than Melvin, but he's based on a real-life person who I knew who went to Caltech. And it may possibly be the nerdiest human being I've ever met – Despite the fact that I went to MIT and I know a lot of really nerdy human beings. <laughs> oh, and then lastly, Europa, who is the, the ex-pop star who secretly controls most of the Eastern Bloc. Europa is taken directly from Thomas Dolby's song Europa and the Pirate Twins, followed by his follow-up song with uh, John Bon Jovi, I think it was John Bon Jovi, in the mid-90s, which was uh, called Eastern Bloc, uh, Europa and the Pirate Twins Part 2. And... Europa's storyline, in fact, is is taken in part from those two songs, and the whole thing is an elaborate, an elaborate development because Thomas Dolby is going to be promoting an album soon, and he agreed to show up on my podcast and do a little interview, and I thought that would be just a lot of fun. So that was the reason she first created, she first came into the show, and now I have all kinds of plans for her. Okay. Now, you've got this uh, very successful podcast, and you've written a book, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 48. And I want to know, how did you get started? What got you into podcasting in the beginning? At the very beginning, my first podcast was a podcast that I believe is still up on iTunes called Business Explained, and it was very much a business podcast. The style was more business-like. I suppressed my sense of humor and my creativity and attempted to fit myself into the mold of the bland corporate America leadership world. And let's just say I ended up with no effort. I ended up getting several hundred listeners, which was kind of neat, but only several hundred. And when I looked at – and the reason that I did it was because I had just heard about podcasting and I thought, you know, I have always had the sense that I like performing in media. Let me just give this a shot and see if, it, see if I like it. And after about a year and a half, it was okay and I wasn't doing them that often. I think I was doing one a month. And after about a year and a half, I heard Grammar Girl and I was – I was just struck. I was thinking, oh my gosh, this woman, this woman teaches grammar. Not exactly the most exciting topic in the world. <laughs> and she does it with so much fun that I want to listen and download them just because the episodes are so much fun to listen to. So I wrote her a fan letter. And I said, dear Grammar Girl, if you ever decide you'd like to add a podcaster to your network who wants to speak about business topics – I would love to do it. And I sent along a couple copies of podcasts I had done so she could hear my voice quality and my production quality. Unbeknownst to me, she had just sold the Quick and Dirty Tips Network to Macmillan Publishing. And the day my letter got to her was the day they were having a meeting to decide who their next new podcaster should be. Ah. You want to talk about serendipity. And we, we bounced around several different topics. She said they had done market research to find out what topics people wanted. And I said, well, what's the most popular topic, the most popular business topic? And she said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to tell you. I want you to tell me what you want to do. 
And I thought about it and I said, you know, personal productivity would be a lot of fun because you can do quick tips and there's just a lot of places you can go with it in terms of a creative podcast. And she said, congratulations, that's also our number one most requested topic. Awesome. The podcast launched the week before Thanksgiving 2007. It hit number one in the business category of iTunes about three weeks later. And it got up into the iTunes top 10 in all categories by the end of the year. Very nice. Which is a very nice Christmas present for me that year. Now, you've had 186 episodes as of August 8th. What has kept you going as you've been podcasting? A desperate need for approval from large numbers of faceless (laughs) anonymous people. (laughs) Um, Good answer. (laughs) it's, It's complicated. Because at the beginning, I was doing it for fun. This was my creative outlet and a way to blow off steam since my main business, I'm an executive coach. That's my main line of business. And I help entrepreneurs and people grow companies. And personal productivity was never a centerpiece of my business. It was something that I would do with my clients so they would then have the time to implement the business initiatives they needed to implement. So in the, at the beginning, it was all about let me have something that isn't related to my main business, which I can just use to have fun and to joke and to be myself in a way that I, perhaps because of my own beliefs about the way the business world works, in a way that I don't feel comfortable doing in the standard business world because I believe it might get me ostracized or disliked or whatever. And it started as a creative outlet as it has become more and more popular and and successful At this point, what keeps me going is a strange combination of, A, I'm really pushing the boundaries in terms of my own ability to do things like storytell. I I have, even though each podcast is about a very concrete business skill, I do have these backstories, and this is where I'm learning. I'm learning how to construct stories, Uh, A, so, so I'm still being motivated by the creativity of the process, not just by the content itself. Regarding the content, I'm now at the point where I do have some products that are related to personal productivity, and the Get It Done Guide gives me a way to develop a lot of content into forms that I can then develop further at some other time. So it acts as an incubator for my ideas. And and this is going to sound a little bit weird. It certainly it led me to write a book. So I now have a public, I now have a, a public platform. In addition to the podcast, I now have the book, which also encourages me to keep up the podcast. And I am up to almost, I think, 180,000 listeners a week. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty – If when I think about it, I'm like, you know, yay, there, this is a platform. I'm not quite sure where it's leading, but I have discovered I do love media. And as you may know, if you follow my Facebook stream, and a lot of people think I'm kidding about this, and I am so not, I – for – bizarre reasons, got into musical theater last year, which I had never even thought twice about in my life. And I was seized by the musical theater bug and had a joke with a friend. And I was joking with him that I should write a musical based on my book. And it would be the world's first musical based on personal productivity, probably the world's last musical about personal productivity (laughs) as well. Long story short, unbeknownst to me, my friend, and this tells you how much I know about my friends, my friend is a musical theater composer for Off-Broadway and teaches musical theater composition at NYU. Who knew? (laughs) So, although it started as a joke idea, we have actually written a musical. We're going to be having a reading of it in New York the week after next. 
So another thing, this is all still an answer to the question, what keeps me going with the podcast. Uh, another piece is I'm learning how to write a freaking musical. Like how cool is that? <laughs> and that's all based around the podcast. So the podcast was formed because I wanted it to be a, an outlet for my creativity and something that would really stretch my boundaries. And it has served that purpose and continues to serve that purpose at the moment. I can see it now. Steve Robbins musical. <laughs> exactly. Well, or the, the, the musical. And it's about 40 minutes. I can present it as a keynote address. It's a one-man musical. And it has zombies. It has Oreo <laughs> ice cream cake. It has world domination. Uh, plus, it has seven concrete tips about how you can be more productive in your day-to-day job. Of course, the tips are presented in story form, so you have to take notes if you want to walk out of there with them. But I'll probably give people a cheat sheet afterwards and say, if by some slim chance you missed the fact that we covered genuine content in the course of the musical, <laughs> here, here, here is the content so that you don't feel like this was nothing but you know pure frivolity and, and exploration of how one raises a zombie army to take over the world. I could just see people after attending that walking around singing your productivity tips during their day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, I, I, the, I haven't heard of the, all the music yet. I've heard some of it. But the, my composer genuinely does compose for Off-Broadway. So the songs should be quite singable and hopefully quite catchy. I just, I'm two-thirds of the way uh, through writing the very last song, the only one that, that isn't complete. And it's called Live on Purpose. And it's related to one of the major tips out of my book, which is the whole first chapter, which is being aware of what your real purpose is in whatever it is that you're doing and making sure that you keep that in mind so that as you do your work, you're accomplishing your purpose as opposed to getting caught up in the work and doing something else. Well, let's step back from the grand uh, opera style of this and get back to uh, the podcasting aspect. I want to know what are some of the tools you use and what are your favorite tools that help you podcast? Well, the tools that I use, and in terms of the hardware, I have all of this listed on my website. If you go to getitdoneguy.com, one of the menu items is Get It Done Guy, and the drop-down is Recording Specs. And it tells everything that I use and how I have it all connected up so that if anyone wanted to duplicate my setup, they could do so. I, my favorite tools, I have a Sennheiser microphone, which is a great mic, and I record I record through a mixing board into a Roland R09 Ederol handheld recorder. As far as I can tell, the Ederol is the equivalent of an entire room full of equipment 15 years ago. And the sound quality that I get from it is tremendous. It's one of these things, and it's expensive. I believe they run about $400. What I found is that with sound equipment, you really do get what you pay for. If you buy an $80 Sony or Olympus handheld, it will produce perfectly serviceable audio. But if you buy the $400 Roland, it will produce audio that sounds like it was produced in a studio. And in fact, I have people ask me where I find the studio to do this production. And the answer is the studio is my basement about three feet away from my hot water heater. <laughs> so I record during the moments that the hot water heater is off. Nice. And I really believe it's the Adderall that gives me that sound quality. So that's my number one favorite piece of equipment is my Adderall Roland R09. I also have a really cool device called a broadcast host. With the advent of Skype, if you want to do an interview with somebody and insert that into a podcast or turn it into a product or a downloadable MP3, 
with Skype, you can get software that will record both sides of the conversation when you can then edit each side separately and that's really wonderful. However, there's a lot of people in the world who are worth talking to who don't use Skype. What a broadcast host does is it lets you record a phone conversation and it works some kind of electronic analog magic where it puts your voice on one channel, on the left channel of the recording, and the person on the other end of the phone line's voice on the right channel which makes it very easy to then go through using Audacity and edit out the noise on each channel or adjust their voice separately from yours because, of course, if you're recording a conversation and you're in the same room as the microphone and they're coming through a phone line, you really want to separate out the two voices because theirs is going to require a really different kind of processing and cleaning up than yours will. Those are my two favorite pieces of hardware, Broadcast Host and Ederall R09. My favorite software... And you got it. You pegged it. Is Audacity? Yay! <laughs> I've tried Adobe Sound Booth. I think I've tried a couple of Adobe products. I have tried um, GarageBand on the Mac, and Audacity. Although it's not the most beautiful interface in the world, it seems to be the simplest. It does exactly what I want. I know how to do what I want. Select and hit delete, or select and hit effects. Basically, I mean that's you know that's the interface summarized in a nutshell. And for some reason, none of these other programs have been written to be that simple and elegant. Adobe, the sound booth, I think, it assumes that you're just doing one track or it lets you only edit one sound clip at once. You can't string a bunch of sound clips together without, without a bunch of hassle. And I keep thinking, who were they creating this for? You know, what, what human being needs to do high-end sound editing but not string sounds together? <laughs> so... Audacity, though, is totally my – I'm in love with the program. Yeah, and isn't the price great too? The price is fabulous. And I'll tell you, let me just say a little something about open source, open source freeware type things, which is what Audacity is. If they give you an opportunity to donate, if you find the software useful, donate, donate, donate. Yes. Because – I know I used to be a computer programmer long ago in my career, and it takes a lot of work to put together a decent, a decent software package. If you donate to them, then these incredibly generous people who are producing really high-quality stuff for free will continue to do that. And if you don't donate to them, then eventually they'll have kids, and they'll go, oh my gosh, I have kids and a mortgage, and, and I need to make money, and so I'm not going to develop this anymore. And we don't want that to happen. Yeah, I like to encourage people that when you're limited on money, that put your money first in your hardware, get a nicer microphone, a nicer mixer, a nicer recorder, and stick with free software until you're ready or if you really need it, but spend money on the software last. However, like you're saying, if it works, then donate to them. Support the people that whose tools you use. Absolutely. In looking at how you are a podcaster, you're a writer, you're now a, a screenplay writer or a, a stage writer, and all of these other things that you do, how do you balance this all out? And I know this is the whole thing that your podcast is about. <laughs> so you balance. <laughs> Let me begin by saying, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> uh, um, I'm actually not that bad. I, 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 somehow do manage to have at least a little bit of, uh, uh, of balance to my life. A lot of what I do is I look for ways that the different things I'm involved in can support each other. 
everything I mentioned before, pretty much all of it is vaguely related to the same type of activities. I, my musical is about personal productivity. My personal productivity podcast is about personal productivity, etc. Um, and these are useful in my coaching practice because there is a piece of the coaching practice where I do help people use the, uh, learn to use their time better. And uh, so that's one thing, is to try to combine activities as best I can so that all of them are advancing everything that I'm doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. The other thing is the living on purpose concept that I mentioned a little while ago. And this is really, really important because as soon as I tell you what it is, you will understand it completely. There's nothing hard about it. And I guarantee you, you probably don't do it. Hmm. How can I guarantee that you probably don't do something? <laughs> okay, I'm going to guarantee you that you don't do it everywhere in your life. The idea is very simple. Know what your goal is when you start to do something and keep checking back to make sure you're constantly pursuing that goal. For example, if you sit down to edit a computer because you want to check to find out what the most recent news article was written about your product and you go to Google and you Google your product and a news article comes up and you read it. If you then click on a hyperlink that has nothing to do with that, no matter how interesting that hyperlink may sound, you have just left your purpose because your purpose was not to go browsing a whole bunch of stuff and doing competitive research or whatever it is that attracted you about the hyperlink. Your purpose was to go find out what the news story was. That's it. And most of us, either we get distracted and don't notice that we've been distracted for a very long time, or we do something because once upon a time it was relevant to ourselves and our lives, it isn't anymore, and we haven't noticed that yet. So we establish habits and patterns, and then we don't break them. Once upon a time, for example, when I was a computer programmer long, long ago, I was a system administrator for a network at my first job. Now, this was a long time ago. We're not going to go into how long ago this was. And I developed a whole set of habits around security and backups and making sure that everything was up to date and installing updates on a regular basis, all that great stuff. Well, I still do that, and it's decades later. And it's not at all clear that that's a good use of my time anymore. My computer works just fine for everything I use it for. I could never get another software upgrade, and I would still be able to do everything that I need to do with the software that I currently have. However, I keep updating stuff, and I install the security patches, and I install the new upgrade patches and all that. Why? Because I'm in the habit of doing that. And what I haven't recognized is, no matter how much I can rationalize it by saying, I'm keeping my computer working, the reality is, my computer is working. It's working just great. What I'm doing is indulging myself in a 20-year-old instinct to do something that isn't relevant to my job today. And there's a lot of things like that in everyone's life. Email is a great example. That's one of my favorite examples because everyone is convinced they can't live without email. I'm sorry. I'm more than 10 years old. I remember the world before everyone used email. It's perfectly capable, possible to run an entire life without being chained to your email. However, most people think that sitting in front of their email, looking at messages and responding to them is doing work. And all I would have to say as a self-employed person if you spend 15 minutes a day in front of your email, that's two and a half weeks a year. You want to know why you don't have more vacation time? It's because you read your email for 15 <laughs> minutes a day. Two and a half weeks a year is, uh, is, 150, uh, sorry, is 125th of your year. It's actually a bit less than that. It's about 120th. So it's about 5% of your year. If you can't justify 
5% of your yearly income with that time you spend on email, then that email overall is a waste of time. You might be able to point to specific emails that were a good use of time, but overall, if your email isn't producing at least 5% of your income for you, then that activity as a block is giving you a low return on your time and effort and attention invested. And with email, at least for me, I don't know how other people process it, but I know when I read email, my mind has to jump from topic to topic as I go through each email that comes in. And by the time I'm done scanning my inbox, I'm already feeling half-drained. I have to take a break just because I've had to think about 400 topics in the space of, of 10 minutes. And that's not good. Cognitively, that isn't good. It doesn't leave you in a place where you're able to do work and jump right into stuff. It depletes a lot of your mental energy and you have to recharge. And you're not, you haven't even started doing work yet. All you've done is scanned your inbox. Now again <clears> – <throat> If you know what your purpose is, let's say my purpose is to find out what deliverables my client expects for me today, then you can keep that purpose in mind and you can scan your inbox and only read the messages that relate to that topic. Scan through, look for any email from your client, look for any email that has the word scheduling and the client name in it, uh, scan those emails and voila, you've stayed on purpose. But if instead you go through and you triage your inbox, now you're off purpose again. And that's how I get all that stuff done is I double up on doing things that support each other and I also strive to keep myself on purpose, which I successfully do about 30% of the time, which doesn't sound like very much until I consider that most people don't even seem to be able to do it 30% of the time. Yeah. Now, talking about being productive, uh, let's shift this over to what um, my podcast listeners would really be interested in is how they can be more productive with their podcasting. So what kind of tips can you give specifically podcasters who might be struggling with setting aside time for podcasting or might be struggling with uh, organizing their thoughts or what tips would you share for productivity for podcasters? Sure. First of all, separate out all of your tasks. So don't try to compose on the fly and kind of do it when you have a few free minutes to sit down in front of your microphone. Um, um, do, your, do your writing and thinking in one session. Do your outlining in another session. Do your actual recording in another session. And then do your editing in another session. If you mix them, again, you're forcing your brain to go back and forth between a lot of different ways of thinking. And there's just a limit to, to how much mental energy it takes to do that. It's much easier to separate those things out purely. Also, if you make something a habit, then it becomes easier to do. So for example, with my podcast, I every Tuesday morning is when I write the podcast for the week. I have that time blocked off on my calendar. It's non-negotiable. And I'm at, finally at the point, it took me about a month and a half to get to this point. I don't even think about it anymore. I get up on Tuesdays. I don't check my email. I don't check my voicemail. I get up, sit down, and just hammer out an episode. And that's great because at this point, that's background that I don't have to think about it. Um, <clears throat> same thing for I hammer out the script for the episode and then I'm not thinking about recording or about my microphone or whatever, which I might be doing if it were an, improvis if it were an improvisational podcast, but it's not. It's I script it and then I read, read the script. And then I do the recording in another session. And that way, when I'm in each one of those modes, I can concentrate just on that kind of task and just on the issues related to that part of the process. Another thing about getting the time is you have to decide for yourself how much of a priority is this for you. 
And if it's a priority, you just have to block the time off and make it a commitment. And I don't know any way to do that other than saying block it off and make it a commitment. In my case, and I'm really clear about this, I don't get paid very much for the podcast. The podcast is owned by Macmillan Publishing. I get paid to host it and to write it, but although if I were doing if I had the same audience on my own, I might be able to make some real money with it. Because it's owned by Macmillan, I don't. I'm almost doing it for free. So gee, one would think, why is this worth half a day a week of my time? Which is how much time it takes me typically to write it and then record it and go through the whole editing process. And I'm clear that I'm doing this to establish a platform, A, so that someday maybe I can use this to get a career in paid media, and B, so that I can use this to build my own personal business. And that's what I measure the usefulness of that half day on. Because a half day a week, that's a lot of time. That's a couple months a year that I'm spending just doing podcast stuff. Just like my earlier conversation, you need to decide what is the outcome you want from the podcast and how important is that. And that will tell you how important to make it in your schedule. If you're just doing it for fun, then you probably aren't going to block off half a day a week for it. If, and you may not script it out. You may just do it purely improvisationally, sit down in front of the microphone and talk. If you are doing it with a business purpose, I strongly encourage you to measure the business purpose as explicitly as possible. And if it is not serving that purpose, stop doing it. And right now, the, from a business point of view, the podcast doesn't make much sense for me because it doesn't directly produce a bunch of income. However, it does produce an audience around which I am building excuse me, an information products business. And once that is up and running, I'll be able to measure it and say, gee, how much business am I getting because I have this reputation as the get-it-done guy? And if the answer is I'm not getting enough business to build a business around, then maybe it will be time for me to, well, either to stop doing the podcast or to be very explicit and say, you know what, the podcast is not a business venture for me, it's a creativity venture for me, in which case I may, instead of spending half of a day on Tuesday in the daytime, I might decide that as a creativity venture, it's better put on a Saturday or in some evening when it's not going to take away from work time. Very good. So this this works for you, and can it work for others out there too, even if they're podcasting in a different way? Uh, you mean in terms of, uh, I'm not sure when you say this works. Well, uh, these tips that you've shared are... Earlier, you said, don't do what you do, do what you say. But this is working for you. This is working for me. This is less related to what your topic is or whether it's business or personal. This is more related to your own personal work style, I would say. So if you're the sort of person who is good with calendars, then it makes sense to block off time every week to do your work. If you're not that sort of person, if you're somebody who only works spontaneously and you never look at your calendar, well, then you can block time off on your calendar. But if you don't look at the calendar, it's the fact you have time blocked off isn't going to be very relevant for you. Um, you know, the, as far as things like scripting, uh, scripting in one session and recording in another, you need to decide, do you even want to script? I originally, my first Business Explained podcast was done improvised. And when I started the Get It Done Guy, I did a few of the episodes improvised, and I did a few episodes by writing a script first and then reading the script. And there's some serious trade-offs between the two. My improvised shows sounded much more natural, but they were a little bit less coherent because I would wander, I would start a sentence and then stop and change what I was saying. The scripted shows, the writing was much tighter because I wrote it out and then went through and revised it and made sure that it was 
tight. But when I read it, some of my first, some of my early episodes, ooh, I obviously had never learned how to do voiceover work because I read it and it sounded like I was reading a script. I, someone pointed it out to me. I listened to it. I agreed with them. I cried for a little while. And <laughs> then I decided I was going to learn how to read a script. Gosh darn it. <laughs> and I took a voiceover class and started listening to my own voice, although I, I gave that up after a while because I don't like listening to myself. Uh, but at this point, I can read a script and have it sound, if not completely natural, as in pure, as in truly have it sound improvised, at the very least, it sounds, it sounds engaging and I have a lot of tonal variation. Mm. You know, if it, it, I, I'm, yeah. So does that apply to you? Decide. Do you want script or improvised? If you want improvised, you probably won't have trouble from making it sound natural, but you'll probably ramble some. So work on that. Can you learn to improvise so that there are no ums and ahs? Can you improvise so that you don't start a sentence and then cut yourself off and say another sentence so that you improvise incomplete sentences? And that's not an easy skill to have. People don't talk that way in normal conversation. It will require some effort to be able to do that. And then conversely, if you decide you're going to use a script, which means you're going to have a chance to edit it and really make your show tight, make sure that once you've got the words tight, you can still deliver whatever it is that you're saying in a way that sounds natural enough that it's engaging and fun to listen to because we have all had that (laughs) professor who (laughs) didn't know how to do that. Yeah, And I've been listening to Get It Done Guy since the podcast started, actually. And I now that you mentioned that, I can remember back then thinking, uh, yeah, it sounds like he's reading this. But yeah, you've you've gotten a lot better at that. And now uh, it's it's always been fun to listen, though, because you insert your own kind of humor into it. And that stuff that just comes out of nowhere and the quirky little humor that I enjoy so much. Yeah, I've, I've had a couple of people tell me they stopped listening to me because he, he, there was someone posted this on my Facebook page. And I was thinking, you stopped listening to me, but you still follow me on Facebook and post to my page. That's kind of a strange combination. And he said, yes, I stopped listening to your podcast because it was so frivolous. It's a five-minute podcast. And I, every single podcast includes at least one, sometimes up to three tips. Now, it's true. The first paragraph might be entirely set up for a joke. The first paragraph is typically humor. It introduces a situation. But the middle two-thirds are almost always solid tip. And I was just thinking, wow. Like, like one introductory paragraph and four minutes of content is too frivolous for this person. I would hate to be their wife or their <laughs> husband or their polyamorous family unit. <laughs> Yeah, I I really like these tips that you've shared because I think back to uh, my history of podcasting. I started a clean comedy podcast, The Ramen Noodle, and in two years released only eight episodes. And it was so much because I wasn't applying these things that you shared. Like I would try to sit down and do it all at once instead of separating my tasks out. Or uh, I I obviously didn't make it a habit like you were suggesting. Um, I didn't have it as a priority in uh, the list of things that I had to do. It was just a, yeah, I want to do this and just never got around to it. I, I struggle with procrastination and I'll ask you about that in a moment. Uh, and 
my purpose in podcasting back then, well, I didn't really have one. And so I love these tips that you've shared, and I'll have these repeated in the show notes for everyone at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 48. But for those people who are struggling with podcasting, and like a common thing is what I struggled with, procrastination, what would you say is, uh, like, like, I don't know if you want to give just one tip or three tips, but how would you say someone could overcome procrastination in something that they they want to do consistently, but just have the struggle of putting it off. If you want to do something consistently and you have the struggle of putting it off, A, use a calendar or whatever whatever thing you do that normally that, – that enables you to do stuff that you do do consistently. Because I guarantee you there are things you do consistently, successfully. If you use a calendar for those things – use a calendar. If you have a specific day of the week scheduled, use a day of the week, whatever it is. And, and this is the piece that will make it work, uh, call up your worst enemy (laughs) and tell them you're going to do this and you will pay them $1,000 if you don't. Whoa. Oh, you'd be amazed. I, I used to have quite a temper around certain things. And there was somebody who I yelled at and regretted yelling at them very deeply afterwards. And I said, you know what? Going forward, if I ever yell at you again, I'll pay you $1,000. And tell you what, I paid him (laughs) $1,000. And then I never, ever, ever yelled again like that. (laughs) All it took, all it took was ones. (laughs) So, um, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's a little bit extreme. However, that's the point. Mm-hmm. If you have a trouble with procrastination, you're not having a trouble with procrastination. The reason you have a trouble with procrastination is you don't perceive there being any particularly bad consequences if you keep procrastinating. Right? Oh, I want to do my show this week. But, you know, if I don't, well, you know, I'll do it next week. Well, you know what? If you don't do your show this week and that requires you to give the person you hate most in the world $1,000, you'll do your show this week. I guarantee it. The key is having another person involved. And you don't have to – it doesn't have to be someone you hate and it doesn't have to be $1,000. But – do something where you will have someone else who checks up on you or someone else who you know you have to report your success to in a given day of the week. So get yourself an accountability buddy and just tell your accountability buddy, I'm going to do a podcast every Tuesday night. And I want you to call me Tuesday nights at 10 o'clock and just ask me if I've done it. And that's it. No judgment, no, oh, you're a good person, you're a bad person. Just call up and ask me if I've done it. That alone, knowing that another person is going to call and ask, bizarrely enough, is sufficient to increase your compliance rate or the chances you'll really do it by about 80% without the reward or without the I'm going to pay you $1,000 if I don't. Just knowing another human being is going to show up and expect you to do it, that alone, unless you're a psychopath or a sociopath, um, (laughs) Which is, yeah, hey, it's 5% of the population. I can't discriminate against these people. They might buy a lot of my products, for goodness sake. Uh, But if you're not a sociopath or a psychopath, that uh, just knowing that another person is depending on you will trigger various psychological mechanisms that will make it much more likely that you'll go ahead and do the habit. The way not to try to do a habit is willpower. Willpower does not work. There's a lot of science that has been done on the science of motivation. And trying to willpower your way through stuff doesn't do it. So what does do it is setting up systems that happen regardless of whether or not you remember to do them. 
an alarm clock. That's what, for me, a calendar is a system. It works as a system because I always refer to my calendar to decide what to do next. So if it's on my calendar, I'll just do it. That's a system that works for me. And if you have another person who's going to show up, then it's outside of your control once you've made arrangements for that to happen. And being an external system as opposed to willpower, it will get you moving on it. Nice. I sent out to um, my listening community that I would be talking with you and talking about productivity and podcasting. And I got a couple questions in from some of them on uh, some things that can apply to either just general productivity or um, podcasting productivity. From Eric J. Fisher, he asked, what is the first step for an organization or time management newbie? The first step... Uh, the first step is to decide why it is you want to get organized. If you're a time management or an organization newbie, presumably you believe there's some benefit associated with managing your time better or being more organized. Understand what you expect this to bring to you. And then search out just the techniques or the things that will bring that benefit to you. And this is important. I know people who spend who waste more time on their personal productivity systems than the systems could possibly be saving. <laughs> For example, if you notice, as I have done in my past, that, that you always have things left on your to-do list and they stay there for months and months and months, so your to-do list backlog grows and grows and grows and grows, then the particular system you want to seek out first is something that has to do with how do you manage a to-do list. Something like David Allen's Getting Things Done, or my personal favorite is Mark Forster's Autofocus, uh, sorry, not Autofocus, Super Focus 3 system, but something that will help you make sure you're getting tasks done. Furthermore, if you notice that all of the tasks that don't get done are the same kind of task, let's say you are producing a podcast and you notice that you have a backlog of 20 to-do items, and the 20 to-do items are each some variation of edit the audio associated with episode number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever, you can use that backlog and notice, gee, the particular thing that I seem to be putting off is my audio editing sessions. And then either schedule them, make use of whatever system you have for beating procrastination, have an accountability buddy, whatever. If that doesn't work, hire someone to do that piece for you or find somebody who's willing to do it for free. But the point is be very deliberate about which parts of your systems you optimize Know what effects you want out of it. And then as you monitor how well the system is working, if you see any patterns as to what is or isn't getting done, that will tell you where to concentrate your efforts next, either by delegating or by coming up with another system that will help you with the kind of thing you're missing. Very good. And Fred from Long Island uh, gave a situation here that, although more business-related, could also apply to podcasting. He says, uh, my boss is remote, as in the other side of the world. And so there are cultural differences and no face-to-face contact. Now, this could maybe be the same case for, I think, podcasters who do a multi-host podcast and do things through Skype together. He continues, he says, How do you recommend that I manage the demands of the job when I am feeling overwhelmed by tasks and deadlines assigned remotely? Well, first of all, uh, I would not let someone... And and this may be why I make a bad corporate employee. <laughs> I I would not let someone assign me a task without me formally accepting the assignment. 
And the reason is this. It's like an email inbox. The size of your email inbox is not under your control. You are not the one who determines how many messages are in it. Everyone else in the world accepts you except you, determines how many messages go in it, the best you can do is try to dig out hopefully faster than they're throwing stuff in. Assignments at work are the same way. If you simply have a boss or a work group that can add things to your to-do list, you're screwed. I, I mean, you're really screwed because they are adding things that they care about with no attention at all to what your priorities might be, to whether or not you're managing with what you have, etc. If you need to manage your workload, uh, so A, even if you're halfway across the world, get yourself a webcam and have some face-to-face meetings with your boss. If I would not try to have this type of conversation by email and I would not try to have it purely by voice, although purely by, by voice is probably better. But if you are doing it face-to-face, at least there is less likelihood that your boss is going to be reading their email while you're talking. Because on a webcam, you can see if somebody isn't paying attention. Um, So you want to get their full attention. You also want to be visual and auditory so that they can hear your voice tone and you can hear their voice tone and they can see your facial expressions. I know that we want to believe that a 140-character Twitter message (laughs) conveys as much information as as 15 minutes of face-to-face conversation. It is simply untrue, period. And if you really, really want to go read the research on these things, there's a lot of research on information content. And at the end of the day, it is just not true that our current electronic text-based tools have anywhere near the information content that a face-to-face conversation has. You want to have a face-to-face conversation. Then when they say, I'd like you to do A, B, and C, you go, hang on a second and look at your schedule and look at the number of things you currently are working on. Then it is up to you to say to your boss, you know what? I can't do A, B, and C given my current workload. I could do A and B, or I could do A, B, and C if I dropped something. Here are the things that I'm working on, and you give your boss the list, which they should know anyway, but they probably don't because you track it and they don't. And which of these things that I'm currently working on would you like me to drop to take your most recent request. The reality of business today is that people are getting incredibly overworked. It's very, very profitable for your corporate overlords. Is They like to fire people and then require the people who stuck around to work as hard as, the pe- as they were before, plus cover the work of all the people who left. This is called unbelievable idiocy. And a manager, who, a manager who had layoffs and did not follow that with decreasing the goals and the work expectations – I think should have been laid off themselves because they are engaging in, in bad business and bad management and wishful thinking. So there's nothing they're doing right in that situation. But yet, most corporations have lots and lots and lots of people doing that very thing, firing people and then saying the people who are left should be able to do everything. You need to say no or you need to say yes and then you will be overworked and you'll deliver all low-quality work across the board. But you need to engage your boss in that conversation and make sure that your boss is the one making that decision. I would have no – personally, I would have no problem going to a boss saying, I'm working on A, B, and C. You want me to work on D. There's no way I can do that and still get A, B, and C done at the quality level. So either A – well, either number one, tell me which thing to drop so that I can take on the new task or uh, second, you could change the quality requirements. And if you will let me come in at half quality, 
on my three existing tasks, then I can take on a fourth and do half quality on that. But there's just no way that I can do full quality on all of the tasks you've given me. And if your boss says, I don't care, I want you to do it anyway, put it in writing, send them an email, this is called covering your butt, and say, here's the conversation we had as I related in the conversation. I could do A, B, and C, or I could do A, B, and D, or I could do all four of them at 50% quality. We agreed that I would attempt to do all four. And um, when your review time comes around and your boss says, gee, you delivered everything at 50% quality, you pull out this email and said, that's exactly what I promised, therefore I have met my objectives. And if you get dinged for that and you are not considered to, be, to have been doing a good job, uh, time to start circulating your resume because you're working in a workplace that is not going to treat you like a human being but is treating you like an indentured servant. And if people don't start standing up and leaving when they get treated like indentured servants, we're going to find ourselves very quickly back in the, 19, or back in the 1840s where – workers in the industrial society were nothing except completely disposable cogs to be thrown away. And I think that's a bad thing. So put, to summarize all of that, push back. Hmm. How, was, how was that for the world's longest exposition <laughs> of the two-word phrase? You could have sent that in a tweet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think a lot of that applies very well to podcasters too, because when people talk about, oh, I want to start a podcast, well, frequently they want to start two or three podcasts instead of just one. And I think the same things you said apply well to podcasting because it's like, well, you could start three, but they're all going to be at a third of the quality, or you could start one now and make it really good. But even just starting one podcast is like taking on a project at work. It means something else won't get done. Maybe it means you won't get to watch a TV show or you won't get to uh, spend time with your family or, or whatever. Absolutely. Podcasts are time-consuming. Furthermore, if you take on multiple podcasts, you're potentially splitting your audience. Mm-hmm. If, if, I have, if I only have X number of hours a week to work on my podcast, I can spend that X hours trying to get listeners for the Get It Done Guy, or I can spend that X hours trying to get listeners for Business Explained. Get It Done Guy has 180,000 listeners. If I can double that number, that gives me enough listeners that I can go to a, a local TV station and quite plausibly say, look, I can build and hold an audience, give me a TV show. Mm-hmm. Now, they'll probably say no, but at least I can make the pitch and be taken seriously. If I spent that same time trying to get Business Explained up and running, then I would have a moderately large audience for Get It Done Guy, probably a smaller but moderate audience for Business Explained, and together I wouldn't be able to make any kind of case for, look, I've built a, significant, a significantly large audience that's large enough to be of interest to a broadcast medium. Now, again, your goal may not be to be a broadcast medium, but still, you know, if you understand why you're doing it, if you're doing it because you like working on sound production, then great. Have 45 podcasts, and you know what? You don't even ever have to put any of them up because what you're in it for is the fun of editing the sound files, not because you care if anyone listens. But if you're really in it for the listenership, I would say do one thing, do it well, and if you have time left over, instead of doing a second podcast, spend that time promoting the first one so you can get enough people listening to it to make it worth your while. Steve Robbins, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us uh, where people can find you on the internet. They can find me at steverrobbins.com. 
and also getitdoneguy.com. Getitdoneguy just goes to one of the pages on the steverrobbins.com website. And that's S-T-E-V-E-R-R-O-B-B-I-N-S.com. And you're on Twitter as Get It Done Guy. And I'm on Facebook also as Get It Done Guy. Facebook.com slash Get It Done Guy. And I, I highly recommend your podcast. I really enjoy listening to it. And I love that it is, um, and this is no insult to you, but I love that it's short because it's really easy to digest. Yes. And you can listen to it as you're jogging or on the subway or, or any place. It's so short that you have no excuse not to listen to it. <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> So I really appreciate what you're doing, and I've learned a lot from you, and I appreciate your coming on the Audacity to Podcast to talk about productivity tips for podcasters. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Stever. And everyone, check out his websites at getitdoneguy.com and steverrobbins.com, and check out his book, which will be, uh, I have a link to that for Amazon, which it's currently on sale. Not sure if it will be on sale by the time of this podcast release, but Go to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash done, and that's a link straight to Stever's book. And you can get the links that we've mentioned and the show notes for this episode at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 48. Stever, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So that was a wonderful interview there with Steve Robbins, and I hope that you've been able to get some good tips from that as well. There's one thing that I feel that I need to qualify a little bit, or maybe it's disagree with after the fact, and this came up in the chat room while I've been playing this live on Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, is talking about the concept of splitting your audience if you're doing multiple podcasts, because there are two ways to look at this. Well, it's very understandable in Stever's case where he has two different business podcasts that he could potentially be splitting his audience by trying to promote both of them at the same time. And there is market research that shows that when people have too many options, they won't pick any option at all. Uh, This happens at stores with peanut butter and just all sorts of shopping things. Make it simple, very few choices, very few options, and people will choose then from that. So there is that aspect of having the market too saturated with your own content that is the same genre and filling the same basic niche like business productivity in Stever's case. Yes, you could be hurting yourself by having two different podcasts on that and trying to promote both of them at the same time. However, also consider this is that if you have two separate podcasts and maybe they fill two completely different niches then, or niches, if you're from the UK, then these different podcasts can cross-promote each other. That's what I do with the Audacity to Podcast. And the other podcast that I have in the Noodle Mix Network is that each of them cross-promote each other. Like, although in all of my podcasts, I tend to try and interject a little bit of humor in it, I have a specific clean comedy podcast over at cleancomedypodcast.com. And that's one niche. Then I have a different niche, which is Christian movie reviews with critical thinking. And that's in my podcast, Are You Just Watching? from areyoujustwatching.com. That's a completely different niche. And then there's this podcast, which is about podcasting and using Audacity, another completely different niche. And when I cross-promote these things with my listeners, with you, one of them might appeal to you and it might not that's fine. My promoting of that other podcast isn't hurting it. 
and it's not hurting this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you like to learn about podcasting and like to learn about audacity. If you listen to The Ramen Noodle, it's because you like laughing and you have a sense of humor. If you don't listen to it, then your life must be really boring. No, I'm kidding. But really, you should go listen to it, cleancomedypodcast.com. So it's not stealing from an audience to cross-promote your other stuff, as long as I think your other stuff fills different unique niches. Unique niches? That's kind of redundant. So that's one thing there that... I think could have used some more clarification, but I think he got the point across, especially with his situation there, since he has business productivity podcasts. Well, check out his stuff. And again, the links to the stuff that he's shared will be in the show notes at the audacity to podcast.com slash 48. I would love to hear from you what you thought about this episode. If you have any productivity tips, call 859-353-4332. Leave a comment on the show notes, the audacity to podcast.com slash 48, or email feedback at noodle.mx. You can also hit me up on Twitter and follow me on twitter.com slash the ramen noodle, T H E R A M E N N O O D L E. And check out the other podcasts that we have on noodle.mx. Please remember if you need cover art to let me know, podcastcoverart.com, or if you need any other design tools services. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. And do it productively too. You know, get some things done. Get some podcasts done. Stop listening to me. Go podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. Thank you so much for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network over at noodle.mx. Check out more of our podcasts in completely different fields and niches and genres and all of those words over at noodle.mx. We've got clean comedy, Christian movie reviews with critical thinking, and more to come. Check it out, noodle.mx, the Noodle Mix Network. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here And there is a lot of tech here. So check it out at techpodcasts.com.